podcast, every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Well, welcome to Leadership Podcast. As I told you last time, we were taking these two episodes to deal with uh, a book that has has both affirmed and challenged me that I read this summer called Range by David Epstein. David Epstein also wrote The Sports Gene and also my dear, dear friend Ryan Hawk in his excellent podcast, The Learning Leader Show, had David on his show a while back and you want to check that out in The Learning Leader Podcast. And last time I introduced this this research via David Epstein that that in today's business and world climate, actually it's not specialists who flourish, but generalists. And last month, uh, last episode, excuse me, I told you that the idea that having a head start in one field makes you more successful is a myth. That works in repetitive domains like chess and golf think Tiger Woods, it doesn't work in a world that requires a grasp of ambiguity. And uh, that was the second application we had. Specialists do great in what, what he terms kind domains that have very specific boundaries and rules and require a, a restricted repetition of action and thought but the world is an ambiguous reality it's a complex reality that demands the integration of various thoughts for problem solving with the world we live in now is a world that is so so many kind domain tasks can be done with computers but we still need creativity the creativity of human beings to solve problems and these are called wicked domains they demand people who are comfortable in ambiguity well i want to go to some of the other applications of this book and share with you and maybe whet your appetite to delve more deeply but here's number 3 that obstacle is the only process toward learning if you're going to learn, you have to accept and embrace obstacles, especially mistakes. Um, thinking very counterintuitively, students in our country tend to do very poorly on international testing um, simply because they perform very well in class. For example, for example, David Epstein says that in one eighth grade math class, the teacher gave hints about the process students should use to solve a problem instead of letting them figure out how to solve it by making connections and seeing math as a system. Memorizing processes, Epstein says, doesn't impart understanding. That knowledge is very useful for taking a hard math test, but it doesn't apply for for taking that math process and making application to the broader world. Learning has to be a very flexible process to be meaningful. It has to be not just learning the algebraic equation, but what does this mean in the real world? So it's very important to test, but 
what he calls distributive practice, allowing for there to be a time gap between what I learn and what I test improves retention and increases usability. So he says, to learn to be flexible, a student in the process of learning needs to trade process learning for what he calls interleaving, mixing examples to make abstract generalizations. Both are very difficult, more, much more difficult than just memorizing procedures, uh, but that's the point. Now, here's my example of that. So, I did really well in Bible college because Bible college was all about memorization, okay? It was all about memorization. It was about memorizing the Bible, memorizing texts. So, I cheated in Greek. No, I didn't really, really cheat. But whenever we had to translate from the original Greek, 2 Timothy, I had an advantage. I had already memorized 2 Timothy in English. So, I was learning hard, concrete Greek. I, I also had an advantage to turn that hard learning into real-world translation because I already had memorized it in English. And so, quite honestly, in my dishonesty, I had to make sure that my translations in my Greek test didn't sound too much like the New International Version of the Bible. Okay, now, that's hard learning. That, that was important. I'm so glad that I learned how to do that and, and that I had the cheat sheet of English. But do you know what's helped me then take my learning of the Bible and translate it into life? Is learning psychology. I have been a lay studier of psychology for 30 some years now. Psychology, the word sukos literally means soul. Psychology was originally a Christian discipline. It's the study of the soul. And what has allowed me to apply the Bible to people's lives is studying under people like Dr. Gary Sweeten, reading the principles of neuropsychology, seeing that so often what we see as learning in psychology is this, you know, we reach the pinnacle of knowledge and the Bible's been sitting up there at the top of the mountain the whole time. Here's what I mean by this. What has enhanced my ability to apply the Bible to people's lives is my study of psychology. What has enhanced my study of psychology is my study of the Bible. It's these learning slowly, connecting learnings, and then being able to build that bridge to people's lives that have not only improved my retention of what I've learned, but it's broadened my application. I can look at 1 John 4, 18. It says perfect love drives out fear, and I see so much in that. But I also connect that to now in neuropsychology, we realize that the human brain cannot process love and fear at the same moment. And the scriptures in 1 John 4, 18 knew that truth a long, long time ago. What I'm saying is learning and the process of struggling through applying that to the real world not only increases your retention, but it also 
allows you to deal and wrestle with reality and the learning process so that it becomes more effective. I found that incredibly useful and incredibly affirming. Again, uh, the best learners have a broad discipline palette that they're drawing from. That's number one. Struggle. If you want to learn and you want to retain, struggle. Struggle to make connections. Where does this apply to? A second application today, number four in our two parts, is analogies set leaders apart. People who can use analogy are very effective in a wicked environment. People who can say, well, this is like, and the thing, of course, that's fascinating about this is Jesus used a form of communication that was parabolic. He uses parables, which are really literally parallel, where he would take a reality from from the unseen world and he would lay it next to a reality from this world and so you would understand the unseen world better because he said it's like this seed it's like this soil it's like this coin that was lost it was like this father who lost a son this shepherd who lost a sheep and so we see in the life of christ and his leadership the unbelievable power of creative analogy and parable epstein tells the story of uh, Johann Kepler, the astron- astronomer, who just who 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 thought outside the box of his day, right? He didn't just settle for the base established knowledge of his day in astronomy when he tried to understand the movements of the planets. Kepler disproved the understanding of his day that spirits guided the planets. He said that there was a force emanating from the sun that powered the movements of the planets. Now, we, he, they, nobody knew of gravity in that day. Kepler didn't even know of gravity, but he used the analogy of a whirlpool and boats to describe what he was observing in the universe. And he, unquote, discovered, quote, unquote, discovered gravity and describing the gravitational pull of the sun and the, the rotation of the planets. Epstein called Kepler's thinking process deep analogical thinking. And he says it requires an understanding of similarities among seemingly unconnected scenarios to solve complex problems. Last session, I uh, referenced combining spider's web, goat's milk to make a silk, combining ant colonies with architecture to create buildings that were cooled. He says, however, unfortunately, the outside view of problem solving doesn't always uh, make for persuasive power when it comes to specialists. Specialists tend to focus on internal details that both distort and limit their thinking. Epstein maintains that the experience of those who are only thinking through a very specialized field makes them overly confident they can apply the same processes to seemingly simple problems. But in one experiment about insider view psychology, researchers ask investment bankers to describe one of their projects and then compare that project to other projects being run by specialists from other firms. <laughs> Unbelievably, they, they, they all estimated that their own projects had a 50% higher chance of succeeding, even though the projects were basically the same projects. 
Over-specialization, Epstein writes, leads to collective tragedy. We call it groupthink, right? Even when every individual separately takes the most reasonable course of action, meaning solutions are usually found outside your area of specialty. As I said before, the, the, the thought that captures me is I personally will not be surprised if the cure for cancer comes from a chef, if the cure for cancer comes from a baker. It, it arrives via the melding of components and elements outside of the area of cancer research. And there's an aha. This so frequently happens. Here's the last takeaway. Often, you have to, as Epstein calls it, drop your tools and unlearn what you know to find out what you don't know. Epstein says that for 30 years, the consensus thought about the cause of the Challenger disaster in 1986 was that engineers lacked an, enough data to make an accurate call to abort the mission, and so they relied on what they saw. But one engineer said no. An equipment problem predicted the explosion. The decision makers ignored his opinion because it wasn't specific enough. It was too ambiguous. The technical culture that was embedded in NASA at that time looked at data as the tool that solved all problems. The powers that be, David Epstein says, couldn't drop the tool, so to speak, and assess the problem using creative reasoning. And as a result, and on uh, January 20th, 1986, many died from a simple valve problem that, could, that, that someone predicted would happen because of temperature. So dropping your tools is the act of unlearning what you've learned. It's, it's admitting that in this situation, I can't apply what I've learned. The situation's too ambiguous. It requires a different approach. And using the tools I know will typically be an automatic reflex that's, that makes it very difficult to identify problems. Uh, this is, you can't see the forest for the trees. So often, our insiders with the most experience are blind, are blind, because they, they haven't gone through the process of unlearning. Epstein tells about how NASA had to change its culture from what he calls strict allegiance to hierarchy and procedure to then communicating less formally and even encouraging doubt. So NASA launched Gravity Probe B prematurely, but it learned of problems associated with that launch. It fixed those problems, not with data, but through informal meetings with technicians. In a wicked world, Epstein writes, relying upon experience from a single domain is not only limited, it can be disastrous. Here's the last lesson. People who specialize later in life prioritize breadth in their early careers. Here's the last one. This is so good. Vincent Van Gogh tried and failed in several careers. Later in life, he finally found himself as a painter. Despite people saying to him, he started too late, had no skill. 
He found his, his unique technique in painting through trial and error, and his late start and his failures actually freed him. Quitting when a chosen career isn't a good fit takes a lot of courage. But switching careers is very com- common in those who achieve a real match quality, as Epstein writes, in their life. And so, specialization is great. But if you want to follow a path or you really find your voice and your niche, make sure you go broad. Don't be afraid to fail. And I would say this. Don't be afraid to quit and start over. Keep the mortgage paid. Do what you have to do to live. But don't be afraid to shift and, and, and actually tap in to the breadth of your knowledge. I loved Range by Epstein. It has just encouraged me more to broaden my life and my areas of interest and to delve deeply and to solve problems by seeing a problem outside my world. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, this is Charlie Mack. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.